time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Check our training schedule or get your gear fix at VictoryDefense.com. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We're about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited to introduce to you my special guest this week, Fonsworth Bentley. Welcome to A Current Life, Bentley. Hi there. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate your making the time to join us today. I know you're very busy, and I want to start off, like I often do, giving our listeners a proper introduction to you. Originally born Derek Watkins, Fonsworth Bentley rose to fame as the personal assistant and stylist to hip-hop star Sean P. Diddy Combs. Since the release of the July 2001 photo of Bentley holding an umbrella over Combs and San Tropez, Mr. Bentley has expanded his reach into the entertainment world to include hosting MTVs from G's to Gents, appearing in various movies and music videos, releasing an album, Colors, and even writing a book, Advance Your Swagger, How to Use Manners, Confidence, and Style to Get Ahead. As a designer and style expert, not to mention actor and artist, Bentley has rubbed elbows with everyone from Kanye West to Bill Cosby. A man famous for being a gentleman, Bentley also holds claim to having the world's largest walk-in closet. <laughs> Bentley, again, welcome to A Current Life. I'm very excited. Uh, we have mutual friends, and one in particular, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that you were make, able to make the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me today. So this show is about life's journey and the ups and the downs that we all go through to reach whatever each of us terms our success. Mm-hmm. So I want to start off with your early years mm-hmm. and ask, what were you like as a little kid growing up in Atlanta, and how much did that kind of uh, affect your upbringing uh, and your Southern style for your success? Well, yeah, I, um, I'm a true Southern gent, and uh, I'm, I'm blessed to say that I grew up with, you know, a fantastic mother and father in the home who reared me and uh, with what I like to coin that we're now living in the golden age of disrespect and um, they really reared me knowing you know the the power of the words please and thank you uh, and just the little things and how the little details make such a big difference and I think 
uh, growing up with a home where no matter what it was I was into, they supported me fully uh, in whatever it was, from the arts to to um, sports. Uh, it really let me have a limitless possibility of what it is I could be and where it was I could go. And, you know, that being said, growing up, you know, starting with the Suzuki method of violin uh, and going through high school as a concert master, you know, there have been studies to show that folks that are that do well in the arts uh, do well in math and science. And so I went on to Morehouse College uh, to major in biology. And uh, Morehouse College is the school, obviously, of Dr. Martin Luther King, Spike Lee, and Sam Jackson, just to name a, a couple prestigious graduates. Um, from leaving there, this was kind of the inception of a completely new genre of music called hip-hop. And so being in college, you know, this is sort of the first time you are um, really, you see people from all over the nation, really all over the world, and start to get an understanding of different cultures and how different, you know, sectors of the world act, their culture, their, you know, their, their, their jargon, their fashion. And, you know, it really just geared me to say, you know what, I've always heard that if you, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And right. so that really drove me to go to the melting pot. Let, let, let me ask you, because uh, you touched on something in the very beginning that I, I couldn't agree with you more. I was raised to open car doors for my dates and for my mm-hmm. wife and, you know, uh, anybody, certainly anybody older than me. Um, I was taught... Uh, we had a seating chart at our table when we grew up in our family. We mm-hmm. had to dress for dinner. Mm-hmm. We had to say please and thank you and all those things. Those were all very just, just you know, just common things that we did. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know that I've done such a great job with my children uh, in <laughs> teaching them those things. Uh, I think that those are the world's changed greatly. I think mm-hmm. there's been good and bad influences. And so I would like to try to see, you know, how you feel about, how things have changed and why we've come to such a darker place and how we treat one another, because I do think it carries over and how we treat each other around the world in mm-hmm. our conflicts and in our battles, and, and that we just can't talk to anybody anymore. Everybody's yelling at everybody. Nobody's really listening to anybody anymore. Well, you, you touched on a couple of things there. Uh, first of all, you know, the, 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 one of the best pieces of advice I think I've gotten is in any discussion, double-slash argument, the answer is actually to listen. And that was the best piece of advice. And you can tell when somebody is actually listening. Because at the end of the day, people just really want to be heard. And they have to know that they're being heard. You know, so... That that's 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 first off as far as that's concerned. But here's the the world we're living in. We're living in a time where technology, which is a fantastic thing, has caused us to now we we e you know we email we BBM we Twitter we IM we do all of these things, so we don't relate to one another. I mean, people would rather text somebody than actually pick up the phone and have a conversation. And so we're living in a time where things are coming so instant, so right now, and so now it just decreases, you know, the, the, the aptitude for one's patience. And so even if I, am, if I have an opportunity to talk about my point of view, my patience is limited on, you know, how I need to get that across, and we just don't generally relate to one another. So this idea of, like you said, 
really passing down some of those etiquette teachings, if you will. You know, it, it definitely has skipped over a generation, but the, the really scary thing is you're now living in a time where people are going to literally be socially inept, and they are now. No question. You know, I, I read in your book, I think it was, we did a lot of research about you, and we, we spend the time to get to know people, and then it makes it easier for me to really try to, to get deeper into the journey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you talk about eye contact. You talk about yeah. how important it is to look someone in the eye. You know, this show is done through many different cities, and, and it's hard when you're on you know, you're in three different places. The studio's in a different city. I'm in a different city. You're in a different city. It goes into 187 countries. People listen to it over a year through archive. They download it through their iTunes. And, you know, and basically the goal that I've had and why I started the show was really to help people identify with those aspects of your life that would give them the power over their own life to be able to grow and do those things that either God meant for them to do or that they feel passionate about. Passion, of course, is the thing I think you would agree with me is that drives all of us towards the ultimate you know, uh, achievement of our goal. And mm-hmm. I really was touched by that, that, what you said, because if we treat each other with respect, we look each other in the eye and we listen to each other, we're starting off pretty much you know, pretty far down the road. And, exactly. and then it's just a question... Can we, can we find a way to compromise if we look at things differently? Because obviously we all come from different places and have different uh, baggage we bring with us. But when you're not looking someone in the eye, and I know I don't work with anybody who doesn't look me in the eye because I go. immediately just say, you know, this isn't going to work. So I, I, I commend you on, on that and on your basic principles, which, which I found to be just incredible, which also dealt with confidence and manners as as key components of, of success. Yeah, and just to add to that, one of the things that was interesting, uh, Random House had reached out to me about doing a book about taking yourself to the next level. Now, it was a little early, I felt, to do something completely biographical. And folks know I started, you know, Humble Beginnings, working with Sean Combs. But because because of that, the questions I would get and people asking different questions, you know, how did you get the conference to move to New York and then to walk up to different luminaries and then, you know, to leave that opportunity and so on and so forth, I was compelled uh, to to write this etiquette book because, like I said, we, we've been living in the golden age of disrespect, I believe, and the Times quoted me on that fact. And so when I went into Random House, I said, I really want to write a modern-day etiquette book because t- people today really aren't going to read Emily Post, which would be, you know, right. the Bible of that particular vocation. And so my thing was I wanted with pictures and so and to make it cool so that people would get this. And they did it. And the interesting thing is the amount of pushback I got when I thought it would be a shoe-in for advertisers and marketing dollars to do a book tour. And folks are looking at me like, etiquette? Like, nobody cares about etiquette. Like, what is this guy talking about? Bring the skateboarder in here. And... <laughs> You know, so I then can went on, and when you believe in something, like you said, that passion, when you believe in something, you have to go and do it. And so I would start at churches, and there would be somebody who'd be the principal or head of boys' club, and I'd go there, speak, and they'd tell somebody else. And before I knew it, I was on a college circuit, uh, finally then, then getting, you know, paid to come and have conversations. And before I knew it, I was then developing a show uh, with Jamie Foxx, that was a hit in 40 countries globally, called From G's to Gents. 
And then the book became a New York Times self-help bestseller. And then I finally got a lot of support, you know, I need. But the philosophy really is just this. If I, define, you know, I define swagger as manners plus confidence plus style equals swagger because if, if you think about it, it doesn't matter how stylish you are. If you're rude, nobody wants to be around you. Right. And conversely, if you're mannerable and confident but you don't know how to dress appropriately for the occasion, you won't even gain entry into the game. And so that, this is kind of the philosophy behind it. Well, I, you know, I first of all, the basic principles of of your philosophy uh, need to be taught in school, quite frankly, by people like you know, um, who who or understand how the world has changed greatly, and right. and the younger generation is way too wired in. I mean, you could walk in a room and they're watching TV, they're playing PlayStation. Mm-hmm. They're on their computers. They got their phones next to them. The phones are going off. Their sensory perception is is overloaded, mm-hmm. and they don't even look up. Right? You know, they they don't even look up. Now maybe that's just my family, but I don't think so. I think that we've entered a different. Uh, a, I call it a darker time mm-hmm. when I'm not sure people even know if the lights are on anymore. That's and, right. And you know, basically, what you're doing, and I find it so incredible that you're ahead of your time right now because you really. I call you a throwback in that regard. Mm-hmm. I mean that respectfully yeah. because you've identified those common values that drive, you know, uh, communication. And and without communication, it doesn't matter because money is not the goal. That's right. I mean, it may be to some people. It's never been to me. It's always been about the adventure and about the knowledge that you learn. And I was very excited about having you on the show because I really felt that not only have you come from humble beginnings and, and grown in your success, but you're also teaching our younger people, who are so enamored, by the way, with the whole music revolution and mm-hmm. what they stand for and stuff, when I also think it's also been misunderstood greatly. I mean, that basically the, the rappers or the, the hip-hop or the mm-hmm. urban, they're storytellers. You know, yeah. They're talking about the things that they come in contact with no differently than... Newspaper people talked about it during the Depression or during the uh, Prohibition. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to me, that's their reality. And, mm-hmm. and I want my kids to be exposed to every kind of reality so that they can be more well-rounded, not prejudiced, and be open to all the things that are going to confront them that we can't even imagine what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, 30, 40, 50 years from today. So I do commend you on that, and I do wish that, we could clone you and put you in front of a lot of families where those kids are getting sideways because they're overloaded with that technology. Well, in a way we are. Uh, my mother and I, who we penned the book ourselves, um, we, we developed a curriculum based on it. We piloted it at two colleges uh, uh, two, two years ago, actually. She actually taught the course. Uh, saw incredible strides happening with these students. And so now we're in the process of adapting this curriculum, obviously, for the younger grades, you you have to start them early because I mean by by sixth grade, kids have already you know a sixth grader really is like sixteen years old today. Right. You know, so you got to start there. And I, and I don't, I definitely want to uh, interject on something you said about success. And I, I definitely agree with you. And the way I like to uh, define success is uh, by a, a lady. Her name is Dr. Cindy Trim, and she said that success is how well you achieve your assignment in the earth. Uh, and I, I, I don't think it, it could be said any better. And I just, I really love that. that. that that's great. It's spiritually based, and it's great. Yep. And 
all of us are trying to find what we're here for. Yeah. It's, a, it's a greater mission, and right. most of us are, I think, forced with fear to even try to face that. Let me ask you, mm-hmm. was there a particular obstacle that you faced growing up that was really tough for you to overcome or maybe created your wow moment when you knew kind of where you wanted to go in your life and, and, and just it had, was a turning point. All of us have wow moments or turning points. Mm-hmm. I know I've had several of them. Yeah. It took me a particularly long time to find out that I like to grow things with people and build things, I would mm-hmm. say. And, and, I, and I didn't figure that out until my early 30s. So, I mean, yeah, I had success before that, but it really didn't mean much to me. Right. What was your wow moment, and what, were those, what was the one or two things that you overcame that made you the kind of person you are today? Yeah, well, um, I, 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 you know, the first one I'm going to actually start with, uh, and I think it kind of likens to you saying this revelation you had in your 30s. This was about six years ago, and, and you know, at the time, you know, I had had left working as Sean's assistant and, and, and helping to, you know, build his enterprise, and I had moved to Los Angeles, so I'm getting my feet wet and getting the team together, you know, agents and managers and getting things out and then, you know, get this amazing call from a producer who I really respected, who was a, just after his first album. His name is Kanye West, and he heard an interlude I had done, and he wanted me to do some stuff in music. And music was always something I felt that, you know, again, starting at the Suzuki method of playing the violin at two and a half, even my now wife has always said, you know, she felt that music is something I've always kind of ran, ran away from. And so I'm in the middle of recording and, you know, People like producers like that. When you have time with them, you want to make sure that you can go anywhere that they want to go, and that's in any industry. And so you want sure. to make sure you're prepared. And so I had finally really gotten prepared. I was ready to go, and you know I had this little pain. I was like, oh, it's probably a hernia because my father had had a hernia. And um, so you know I went and got checked out, and they were like, oh, if it is, it's a slight one at most. Let's just take a look in there. And so. You know, the following day, a good friend of mine who I went to middle school with, Andre 3000, was headed over to the house, and I was going to be playing him some of the sounds I had been working on, and so I was really excited, and phone rings, and it's the doctor, and he says, uh, Derek, you, you know, when we looked in your stomach, we found something extraordinary. You, you, you have a tumor the size of a volleyball. Oh, my God. And, and this is about, it's six years ago, uh, this past summer, uh, actually. And, and i got to tell you, um, I really had that mo- like I, I remember the hearing those words and just passing the phone to my father and just walking away. Uh, but I immediately went into warfare mode, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm I'm one that really believes if you you know if you pray and you believe a thing, you really have to have your mouth in alignment with what you're believing for, and I truly believe that. Many of us don't truly understand the authority and power we actually have here in the earth uh, with our voices and with, you know, the, the, the power of the tongue. And that being said, I said to, I looked at my family, I said, listen, don't say the C word, don't utter it, don't mention it, don't Google it. It has nothing to do with me. I wouldn't go in a hospital if it had that word on the front of the hospital. I said, you have to find another back door for me because you're not speaking that over my life. And I got to tell you, uh, Jimmy, it, it, I had that moment leaving that that second opinion at the, after that hospital. And I remember we stopped at the restaurant. I went to the back. I couldn't eat, and I went to the back. And I really had a moment where I looked up at God, and I said, God, why have you forsaken me? 
And I mean, you know, I'm almost to the point of tears now just talking about it because I never understood how that could even be said out of one's mouth. Right. But I really had that moment. But, you know, you know, I said, not my will, your will be done. And I, I kept going on. And I, I got to tell you, um, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that, you know, I w- it, we t- our family literally turned into, it was like an army, like a spiritual army. And I was believing hands would be laid on me and that I'd be healed that way. That's where my faith lied. Uh, but, you know, I ended up having surgery, and I remember coming out and, you know, having the NS tube and the morphine in my back. And, you know, it was excruciating pain and was tired. You know, anybody who's done traumatic surgery knows what that's like, even with pain medicine, you know, and just the, the fatigue. And coming out, my brother was there, and he said that he literally saw an angel on the right side of my bed. And, he, and Gabriel said, he's, he's very vulnerable, so you've got to stay up with him right now. Don't let him, whatever you do, don't go to sleep. And so I would doze off and then wake up in pain. And so, But the, the best part is 10 days later, you know, after I'm starting to get stronger, and, you know, the, the doctor comes in, he says, you know, Derek, uh, we got the pathology back. Uh, we have witnessed a miracle. You're malignant tumor is now benign. And I got to tell you, Jimmy, my, my mother, my brother, my now wife, everybody went to rejoicing and screaming. Jimmy, I didn't scream. I didn't, I didn't rejoice. My faith had grown so strong that I knew I was healed. Wow. And well, this, this is a defining moment for me. Well, I'll tell you, you know, uh, you have no idea how close you're, you're touching on a subject that I've come to grips with many times in my own family and mm-hmm. in the things that we've gone through. And, and what you're really talking about is that there really is this much larger place yeah. that all of us need to work from That's right. while we're down here on this planet trying to figure it all out. Because I think we're here until we figure it out. And, um, you know, I uh, that's a very touching story. And, and, you know, we all live by the grace of God, That's right. moment to moment. I, um, I want to ask you that uh, your grandfather played a large part yeah. and was a great inspiration for you and for your style. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your grandfather? Yeah, it's actually my great-grandfather. and he and this, I knew my great-grandfather and grandmother very well. They were in their late 90s before they passed. And he was a deacon the church, but he was the type of gentleman who always had a, a cane or an umbrella and a fedora. And if those out there who don't know what a fedora is, the fedora would be the hat that Michael Jackson wears during Billie Jean. Sure. So, uh, and so he always had that. And I remember there was this trendy clothing line that came out. And it was that particular holiday, my parents were like, we're going to give you and your younger brother $500. You can spend it on whatever you want. I'm like, great. I bought all of the, I bought six outfits of these, of this, of these clothes in December. By February, they were completely out of style. I mean, not headed out of style, Jimmy. I'm talking about like gone. And every morning, my, my, my mother would laugh. No, no, you got the pants for that. You need to bring the pants down for that. Uh-uh, put the pants on for that one. And that's when my father set me down, uh, GQ magazine, a book by my mentor who endorsed my book, Alan Flusser, uh, uh, closing the man and pictures of my great grandfather. It was like you know, look at Daddy Emmett. You know, I know how much you look up to him, and my dad was a sharp guy too. But nobody was more elegant. I think he's the most elegant man to walk this planet, uh, Daddy Emmett. I mean, he gives the Duke of Windsor run for his money. In my book. 
<laughs> and Daddy Emmett, he's like, you know, he dresses classic, he dresses timeless. And this was a turning point for me because this is the day and the time when I went from dressing trendy or quote-unquote fashion to understanding style and in timeless clothing. And, you know, I, I give a whole lot of credit, not only just for his sense of style, but he was a gentleman. You know, he always opened the door, the way folks respected him. I knew it was something about him, uh, and I needed to tap into that. And so he was a huge inspiration uh, for the man I am today. Well, you know, we when we went to go get your book, which, by the way, we had a lot of trouble getting because um, it's been sold out in all the stores within 100 miles of, of, of where we are. So we did get it an ebook form and read it and in the book you discuss how you developed kind of a general rule of thumb to avoid fashion trends that can quickly fade and leave you with clothes you will never wear again because they're out of style and you also discuss how you look for traditional pieces that have survived the test of time and whose style looks as fitting in modern times as it did 50 years ago how did this sense of style affect you growing up with constant interaction with others your age? And I know nicknames such as Polo Man and other things like that were created for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and also a little bit about your kind of the basic ground rules that people should know in order to succeed in this world with, with that politeness and respect and dress. Uh, absolutely. Well, the first thing I realized um, is w- when you put on a suit, your posture changes. And not only do, does it change you from the inside out, a, I'm sorry, let me back up, a good, a, a well-fitting suit, I've got, I got to start there. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me start there. It, it, not only does it change you from the inside out, but it changes the way people see you. See, I'm one that believes that clothing is language. So before you open your mouth, you've really said so much, you know, and I just noticed the difference it had when I started working at, you know, Ralph Lauren in, in Atlanta and then was recruited to New York. But it was literally the way I presented myself, you know, that allowed me to get past these velvet ropes of these affairs that I wanted to get in the network in which I knew no one. You know, it was, it was you know, all of that that really take it to – and, you know, people always talk about the, the problems with getting a taxi for different – you know, hues and that same thing, and I've experienced that. But i got to tell you, when I have a suit on, I've seen a difference than when I've got on jeans and sneakers. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've seen a real difference. Um, and so what I like to do when I talk about, you know, clothing, and this is, you know, for men or women, one of the misconceptions is people go out and just start buying things. You have to think from the point of view of a building a wardrobe. And so that's why in the book I lay out the 15 must-haves for the men's closet and the woman's closet. And if you start there, and so when I go out and lecture, you know, I'm telling these high school kids and college kids, I'm like, listen, once you finish, you know, school here and it's time for you to go to the job, you're not getting a wardrobe budget. They expect you to show up professional and appropriate. And so when you have those opportunities where it's like, I need to get that new video game, or, man, i got to get those new sneakers because I told him about those sneakers, and now he's going to get them before I get them, and I want to get that purse. Here's the time, holidays, birthdays, here's the time when you need to say, okay, let me start knocking off things on this checklist so that I can build a wardrobe. Because when you walk into that room, it doesn't matter what's on that resume, how much professional experience you have, 
who made the call for you to go in there. There are so many intangibles that are being exchanged just with what you have on. And I think it's powerful. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, people spend a lot of time to get in the room. Mm-hmm. And then when they walk in the room, <laughs> you know, they, they just completely, you know, the jaws drop, you know, That's because it. they haven't thought about it. So what you're really talking about is having a game plan laid out in advance and taking advantage of the birthdays and the Christmases and the things mm-hmm. like that to help fill those gaps and the thing. You know, we got a couple minutes to our break. We're only going to take one break today because I was so pleased we were able to get you. Uh, I do want to remind our listeners, the show is brought to you by Smartwater uh, and AdSpace Ball Network. And um, But I do have one more question before mm-hmm. our break, and that is, uh, what do you say is the most obscure piece of information that everyone should know to advance his or her swagger? Mm. The most obscure piece of information that he or she needs to know to advance their swagger. We talk a lot about the, the bigger things, but is yeah. there is that little thing that, you know, I, I mean, you know, it could be pocket square, it could be something else. Yeah. Is there one obscure okay. piece that maybe we don't pay enough attention yeah. to? Yeah, well, well, if we're talking about it, and, and, and I will, uh, and what I really believe that that is, that is the smile. Oh, that's great. And, and and this is what you know. So here's the thing: you got your wardrobe together. You, you know, I'm, I got you, Bentley. I'm listening. I got your wardrobe together. I've got the you know resume. I got the call. I got the interview. That smile is the first thing they see, and that literally what the expression you have on your face will lift the room. Will it will color the room? That expression on your face, and so that smile is probably the smallest but one of the most powerful, you know, uh, accessories that any individual can have in the course of their day. And, and I can prove it. See, the, the thing with the smile is, and I believe this, you need to have seven hugs a day to be adequate. That's one thing people don't know. Seven hugs a day. So just think about it, listeners. How many people are walking under seven hugs today? That's not okay. So you've got you to gotta have seven hugs a day to be adequate. And once you are filled up, then you have something for somebody else. But I would say the smile is it. It's a great, it's a great answer. And, and by the way, when we come back, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to touch on that a little bit because in today's climate, especially in our economy and what, everything going on around the world and watching you know, the oppression in Syria and everything else, mm-hmm. it's a little tough sometimes to have that smile. So yeah. I do want to get your, your kind of guidance on that. But mm-hmm. we're going to take a short break. This is Jimmy Gould. Uh, with my special guest, Fonsworth Bentley. Uh, you're listening to A Current Life, sponsored by Smartwater and AdSpace Mall Network. Please stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com Do you have career aspirations that seem beyond what you think you can afford? At Ohio Midwestern College, you can transform your hard work into a bachelor's degree in business administration, education, or Christian ministries. Call 1-888-887-4300 or check out www.omw.edu to learn how you can afford a fully accredited degree today. Ohio Midwestern College. Affordable. Professional. Genuine. 
Our open enrollment starts today. Call us now at 1-888-887-4300 or on the web at www.omw.edu. That's 1-888-887-4300 or on the web at www.omw.edu. Tune into Around the World in a Glass, presented by Sportsman's. We're a show all about wine, spirits, and other beverages. Your host, Kimber Stonehouse, is a professional expert and wine enthusiast. Each week, we'll focus on a different region of the world, discuss wines and other beverages, talk about some of the top restaurants in the region, and what to pair with which wine. Just listening could make you almost an expert. Around the World in a Glass is heard live every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode of A Current Life. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm here with my special guest, Fonsworth Bentley. Uh, Bentley, before the break, we were talking about that obscure piece of information everyone should know to advance his or her swagger, and your answer was brilliant, which was the smile. I want to ask you for your advice and guidance to so many people that are suffering today in our world due to just very difficult times, and it's not like it's not happened before, but it seems to be a very overextended, exaggerated time where people are really in fear, and I think troubled by a lack of confidence in the future, a lack of confidence in themselves, so many people out of work and so many people at war around the world. How do you keep your smile and and what's your advice for us so that we can forge ahead with confidence and and dignity and grace? Right. Well, I'll start here. I, I think there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness, I believe, is based on your current situation. Joy is something that you can have perpetually, and it's based on how much knowledge of the truth of yourself you have inside of you and meditating on that. You see, doubt is just negative meditation. That's the way I see doubt. And so this whole idea of, you know, you know whether faith is, exists or, you know, God exists, well, I mean, it's like, you know, you don't have to believe in gravity either, but if you jump off a five-foot building, you're going to go splat. It's just reality. So I think that there are certain laws that have been established. And once you start to get an, a true understanding of them and utilize them for your benefit, then I believe that the laws of the universe really are set up based on your perception to actually help you. So if you get up in the morning, you go out in the world like, okay, it's a war out there. There are no jobs. There's, you know, there's a, and, and, and if you set your mind to things are horrible out there, that's the experience that you're gonna you're gonna get. If you set your mind that you know what, I'm I'm woke up this morning. I'm I'm excited about this day, 
and things outside are here to help me and to assist me, that's going to be your reality. And this is a revelation I got the other day. I was driving to the gym, and I heard it clear as day. And it was like, today is a gift. And I know every day is a gift, you know, but it hit me somewhere differently. And what it said, what, what it was was, today is a gift, Derek. So guess what? Complaining is ridiculous. Complaining, period. And so I literally, I would just really like to, you know, challenge all of the listeners right now to go on and start a 21-day no-complaining fast. <laughs> all right, no, now here's it. you got to do it with somebody else. you got to do it with a friend, all right, because otherwise it's just not going to work. All right, I'm just telling you that right now. But you got to do so it. So will 21... you call my wife and tell her to do this with me? 21-day <laughs> no-complaining fast. Because, see, what happens is, once you, once you get past about day three and you really start to, 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 to harness your, 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 your mouth and say, okay, I'm not letting these things come out of my mouth, the thing that you realize is the battle really is in the mind, and then you start to realize how much you actually complain to yourself. And, you know, here's the thing. I mean, there are just so many instances of where complaining not only doesn't work for anybody, it, it, it it doesn't, it doesn't help you and prepare you moving forward, but, I mean, I could literally offer so many different examples. I mean, the children of Israel stayed in the wilderness because of complaining. Sure. You know, just, just for one. But, so, and I didn't really understand. I was like, okay, I understand being obedient, and I, I get that. But sometimes I want to know the, behind the veil why. And, and, and I believe that I, I touched on it when he, he delivered it to me, which is, how can you or I complain about absolutely anything when today was a gift? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, I agree with you because you can do all kinds of stuff to the outside, but if you haven't fixed your insides, it ain't going to make any much difference. I mean, uh, there you go. We're, we're, we're a big society on correcting our looks and trying to stay young and all those yep. things in an Eastern you know, society, they build, you know, temples to the elderly. And in our country, we haven't figured out what to do with them because right. youth and all of that seems to be so important to people. We've talked about this a lot on other shows with mm-hmm. people. It seems as you take the journey and you overcome adversity, which becomes a great gift if you survive it. Uh, that was actually an Orson Welles line. And, mm-hmm. and But it seems that people okay. sometimes just focus way too much on the outside and not enough on the inside, which is what is the beginning point of your adventure and of right. your, of your, you know, of your journey. And and it looks to me that all these formulas and philosophy that you're talking about really is about what is occurring inside of you first, and then figuring out, okay, what do I need to do on the outside to achieve what I want to do on the inside. That's exactly it. And and the thing is, you know, I think because we're in this three-dimensional realm. We, we, we tend to think in so many finite terms. And the reality is if, if one was up top looking at our stories from an overhead view, this perspective really is from an eternal or an eternity viewpoint. And that being said, yeah, there are going to be some sad chapters. There are going to be some horrible chapters. But, you know, literally on the next page is a breakthrough. And I think there in the middle lies where many of us lose heart, many of us give up, and, you know, many of us, many of us do things like what happened early this morning, you know, in, in Aurora, Colorado. You know, and, you know, here's somebody who's going through so much pain, 
and it just, it's so much confusion. And who, who really knows? I really would love to sit down to this, with this 24-year-old young man. I would love to sit down and talk to him because somebody just wasn't even doing the first part, which was listening. But my point is if you could get an overhead view of, of your lives or our lives, what we would see is like it's ridiculous to be really complaining or going through the way we are in certain chapters when literally a couple chapters over, you know, is everything that we've been longing for and looking forward to. Well, I um, I agree with you, and I think that the uh, we need to spend more time, you know, on our insides, which mm-hmm. deals a lot with the spiritual mm-hmm. questions that each of us face. I want to ask you, uh, going back a little bit on, on your journey, mm-hmm. you know, in your book you talk about how one day you decided to just go for it, mm-hmm. as you said, and ask um, Sean Combs or Diddy to give you a chance to work for him, mm-hmm. and you discuss how he initially said no, but you politely told him you wouldn't take no for an answer. And yep. So how did you convince the hip-hop star at that time to give you a chance? And I know you give a large amount of credit to the use of the words please and thank you as well as solid eye contact. And then also if you could talk a little bit about what it was like starting out really as his assistant mm-hmm. and, and some of those experiences. Yeah, well, the first thing is I, I remember I had established a relationship just by seeing him around. As big as this metropolis is, it really is a very small at the, at the heart of it, right? And you begin to see people recognize them. And I didn't, he didn't know my name from Adam, but I had made an impression where we had, there were these Motorola two-way pagers. And so I had his two-way number, and I wanted to wait for the right moment to, to to send him a message. And so I was leaving my the restaurant um, that I worked at that day, um, and I hit him, and I said, hey, I'm sure you're really busy. I need to talk to you. And he's like, who is this? And I said, it's Derek. He said, where are you, 73rd and 3rd? Who is this? Derek Watkins, where are you? I'm like, around the corner from my house. Who is this? And so I was like, okay, how can I tell him who this is? And that's why I said, <laughs> so now, it's, it's Derek Watkins, the suit master, because I had established that the, the, the dressing thing was something that stood out. He didn't reply. So I'm sitting there in my lobby in my apartment. I said, okay, now what can I say to get through to him? And I did what I normally do when I don't know what to do is I talk to God. And I said, okay, Father, tell me what to write to get through to Sean Combs. And see, one of the things, the misconceptions, I think, is prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is actually a dialogue. But many times we don't take the time to actually listen. And so I sat there. I said, I'm not moving from this spot in my lobby until you tell me what to write. And I sat there for 25 minutes straight. Not a difficult thing to do for anybody, especially anybody who knows me. It's not something easy. I said there for 25 minutes, and then it just came out of me. I picked up my two-way page. I said, you remember the guy from Howard University that traveled to New York City that interned with Andre Harrell? I'm that guy in 2001. He replied, come to 1396 Third Avenue. And so I knew I had hit something. So when I did get in front of him, and, you know, I didn't even know I was in the interview. You know, he was outside in the car, and I'm having somebody else was getting interviewed. And I didn't know I was getting interviewed, but, you know, life is an interview. <laughs> you know, so... I'm sitting there, and when he said, he's like, you know, you know, the executive said, you need to come in here. You're doing, you're too talkative. You seem like you got a big mouth. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to give you an opportunity. I knew that I had hit something in him. Right. I knew that I had touched something because he remembers who that guy was before he had made millions of dollars, before he had sold millions of records. He does remember who that guy was. And I knew in that instant, with the way that came out, he had probably forgotten about that guy, exactly. who he was, how he thought. 
And so when I said, you know, I understand what you're saying, sir, but I'm sorry. You're going to have to give me an opportunity. I'm not taking no for an answer. And that's when he said, okay, well, look, I'll let you, um, my guy is with me. I'll let you assist him. And if you can assist him, if you can hang with him who's with me, then, then maybe I'll give you an opportunity. I said, that's fine. Because it didn't matter where I got an opportunity. Right. Uh, I wanted to start anywhere, and then it's up to me, you know, to show and prove. Um, was, there, was there one particular, I mean, you, you were obviously growing through the ranks and, mm-hmm. and, and, and letting him get to know you and your capabilities and, mm-hmm. and, and, and for him to trust you. And, and mm-hmm. for you already trusted yourself because you put yourself, you were able to bring him down to earth. Mm-hmm. And recognize where he came from. Right. Uh, was there a particular moment in time, or what was kind of the craziest thing you ever had to do for him that you look back on that you know uh, that was either challenging for you or really taught you something? Because I know each of us have at one time in our lives. Yeah. I've gone through numerous situations where I've worked for people and building mm-hmm. my own career and. You know, sometimes you don't understand if you run and go get a cup of coffee for somebody. I'm trying to teach, you know, the interns in our office that and my own kids. You know, it isn't about the cup of coffee. It's really just about the relationship building and, yep. and how you do things. Was there one thing that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, well, the, the, you hit right on it. And what happened is, you know, the, the personal assistant, you know, and at this time, you know, this dude really didn't sleep, right? And he's, he's, going, <laughs> he's, he's going nonstop. So not to mention the physical you know, and the mental, you know, what it, the wear and tear on you. But coming in, you know, when I told my mom, listen, I'm headed to Miami, don't tell anybody because I may get fired tomorrow, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be his assistant. The first thing she said, oh, my God, please don't lose none of that man's stuff because I was the most unorganized individual probably in the uh, northern hemisphere at the time. <laughs> And, you know, so this was a skill set that I had to learn because now I'm not only had to keep up with all of my stuff, I had to keep up with his, my stuff, and his stuff. And he's the type where he's got all this jewelry on. He may just take off this, you know, the big diamond pinky ring and this necklace, and he just starts taking off earrings because he's about to go play basketball. He just takes it off and just puts it in your hand. He's running off to the next thing. So this is now my responsibility. And I can't tell you how many things I I lost at least $250,000 worth of this stuff easily. (laughs) Easily, easily, we 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 laugh about it now. But but then you know it was just. I remember him saying, you know, it went from him yelling to he's like, all right, the yelling doesn't even resonate anymore. He's like, you know, this is a really good opportunity, man. Like, you're gonna end up working for me for free just because of all the stuff. You <laughs> but but I gotta tell you, what happens is once I started to Very move good. up the ranks, and I've started to realize some of the other skill set I had that were. Um, that were, that his organization or didn't have, mm-hmm. and that was so necessary to him. And I started outgrowing the menial task I had to do as the assistant and getting the bags and getting to the airport early. And that stuff started to get on my nerves. And I never forget having that aha moment with him. And I'm like, you know, I'm telling you things to do to build this business, you know, this southern hip hop business, and all these things. And you know. You know I know music. I really want to help A&R this project. And he's like, dude, how can I trust you to fly to L.A. <laughs> to produce the record when you can't even get to the airport on time with me and your stuff? <laughs> and Very it, funny, it actually. Me. And it really hit me. And see, you, and, and to people out there, you know, you got to understand, when you have not only a mentor, you got a job, you got to understand 
that everything you're doing, you know, it's not like they're consciously taking notes, but they end up taking notes, and everything is to prepare you for the next thing. And that's why, you know, my favorite quote is by Dr. Benjamin E. Mays, and he said, uh, he he was the president of Morehouse, and he's the one who taught Dr. Martin Luther King about nonviolence. And he said, whatever you do, do it so well that no man living, no man dead, and no man yet to be born can ever do it any better. Well, one thing I will assure you, I can't tell you how many people have worked for me over my life who don't think either I'm aware of what's going on (laughs) or that I don't get it or that I'm clueless. And I shake my head and I just go, how about that moment, you know, 20 months ago when, and they go, you know about that? I go, of course I know about that. It's just, I would choose to focus on more strategic things, right. but I don't miss a beat. And right. I think that that's one of the great gifts of being an intern or going to work for somebody oh, yeah. or having a mentor. There's nothing that's missed, but yeah. they also expect you to screw some things up, too, mm-hmm. and it's how you deal with it. I, I want right. to ask you, before we go any further, mm-hmm. help me understand um, where uh, Fonsworth Bentley came from, from Derek Watkins. That's funny. All right. Well, first of all, I got to start here. You know, hip hop is one of these vocations where folks just get nicknames. His name isn't Busta Rhymes. All right. You know, his, you know, his name right. isn't. You know, uh, I think that some of the newer uh, artists or people of the culture kind of utilize their real names, the Kendrick Lamars, the Kanye West. But I remember it was literally so. After I send him that email and I show up and I ask for opportunity, the next morning I had to show up at 9.30. So that day we're walking through and, you know, he's walking me through his, he owned this building on Park Avenue. So he's walking me through and he's showing me, taking me on a tour. And he's like, you know, these are my mini closets. And, you know, he's doing the true puff daddy thing at this moment. And, you know, um, and he's walking me through. And so I'm trying to draw diagrams and all these little things. And so... <laughs> taking studious notes. I don't know what's going on. Everything's a test. Who knows? You know, make it fire the next 10 minutes. Who knows? So then he says, and his boy uh, was walking with us. So he goes, when we get to the last clause, he's like, I had like, I dressed down. It was the first time I ever dressed down because I knew that Sean John wasn't a collection that dressed up. It was, you know, more, you know, streetwear and, you know, that, that type of thing. So I purposely dressed down that particular day, and I had my shades tucked in my little cashmere sweater, and he goes, I see your shades. Let me see how you do your shades. So now, to me, this was an opportunity to perform. So I took my shades out, threw them in my head, and I just kind of did this kind of very quirky, kind of like lean back move, like, yeah, yeah, I got my shades on. And he looked, and he's like, yo, you like a... You're like a Bootney Lee Fonsworth type of dude or something. And his boy falls out <laughs> laughing. It just sounds like a nickname about to happen. I'm like, no, please don't let that be my nickname. He's like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not going to do you like that. Well, the irony is there's, a, there's you know, Sidney Poitier and, and Bill Cosby had a series of films. Yeah. Uh, and in one of them, there's a character named Biggie Smalls, which is where Biggie's name came from. He's the villain. And the hero in the film, his name is uh, Bootney Lee Fonsworth. I hadn't seen any of the films at this time. And so what happens is we in, immediately ended up getting on a bus going 22 hours from New York to Miami, and their writers and people are working. And so his boy kept calling me Fonsworth the whole 22 hours. So by the time I got to Miami, that was my freaking name, Fonsworth, and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> and I remember two weeks in, you know, we're moving around, and he had, you know, he had ships cars down there, and so... His, his, Tony De Niro was like, hey, um, he's like, Bentley. And I was like, no, he, he specifically said he wanted his SUV today. He doesn't want the Bentley. Does he? he said, no, 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 that's going to be your last name. 
And I'm like, <laughs> Farnsworth Bentley. I was like, okay, that that's a little better. And that before I knew a it, better. I had business cards arrived at uh, you know at his address down there, and uh, you know the rest is history. That's a beautiful story. Let, let me ask you. So when it was time in your career to say goodbye to to P. What was his reaction that you wanted to head off to Los Angeles to develop your career, and how hard a decision was it? And you know, we only got a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the sad parts of having a show that runs an hour is uh, we run out of so much. And and so, even before you answer this, I would like to get your commitment to come back on my show. Oh wow, I'll, I'll be I'll be honored. I got to tell you, you do a really great in depth worldly interview. Uh, so you Thank should be commended. Uh, well, we're, we're going to make that date happen. Uh, we do have a few minutes left. I okay. do want to ask you, what was his reaction? You went on to appear in music videos with artists including Kanye West and Usher and Outkast, DJ Khalid and John Legend, and you know, um, and so many other things, from G's to Gents and all this stuff. Was it a hard decision to move to Los Angeles? Was he supportive of you and and Kind of a little bit of that background. Yeah, the, the thing is, we, we were coming back from Miami, and I didn't. He was going. We were on vacation, and I didn't want to go on vacation because vacation ain't vacation for the assistant. And so she's right. like, "No, he's going to let you. You've been working hard." And so it really was, and so we ended up having really a, a ridiculous argument over really not too much anything. And I remember sitting there. Uh, we're heading back from the Bahamas, you know, uh, back to Miami on this yacht, and I mean. I heard it clear as day that 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 inner voice that and it says very clearly, "I need you to leave, and I'm going to take care of you." And one thing about it is, you know, just like you know your kid's voice, or I know my parents' voice and my wife's voice. If they're downstairs, they're down the block. When you know that voice, you don't question it and you move. Right. And so I did exactly that. I made a move. I didn't want him to try to because he's very shrewd and he, you know, he is a negotiator. I didn't want him to negotiate and talk me in. So, I, it was a break where I had to go to Philadelphia, drop the bags off, then go to I'm uh, New York, go to Philly, and so I just went right down, told the, the, um, my the executive assistant, you know, I'm done. You know how I roll. I heard this voice. I'm done. And so I later on, I guess about, you know, I went back home to Atlanta. My mom said I slept for like two straight days. And he ended up coming to Atlanta a couple weeks later, and I went to go see him to, first of all, just apologize for the way in which I left because it just wasn't professional, you know. Uh, But it was an interesting experience because in his heart of hearts, and I saw it because I know his son very well, he thought I was going to ask for my job back. Mm. And he saw at this moment, wow, I'm not only losing, you know, a mentee, and we was really like a bi mentorship, but I'm losing a friend right now. Because you, when you work that hard, these people that work close to you, these are like your best friends. And he had just, in that moment, he had realized I had outgrown this thing, and it was time for me, just as he went from Uptown Records with Andre Harrell to start his own empire, it was time for me to move out and do that. And, you know, you know we're actually, I'm helping him with his, um, network now and so we've gone on to you know different projects that match my brand of course we we, we do think we'll do things together but um he's always just had the most utmost utmost respect uh for me because i didn't just take the information and not do anything with it i took the information and and built upon it and uh and that that that's what you really do to make a mentor happy so when they see let me you ask succeed. let me ask you as we got it literally about 40 seconds okay. left what would you say is the meaning of life as you look back on your journey? 
um, in just a few words as you look back on it? The meaning, the meaning of life. Yeah, I would say, um, I would just define faith, which is faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Well, well I, uh, our time is up. Uh, I want to thank Fonsworth Bentley uh, for sharing his journey with us. I want to thank our listeners for tuning into A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, asking us to join us next Friday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. And until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, and success. And to you, Bentley, my friend, I look forward to spending time with you. I recommend to every single person, particularly our young people, to go out and get Advance Your Swagger, how to use manners, confidence, and style to get ahead. And again, my many, many thanks to you, Bentley, and I look forward to you joining us again very soon. Have a great day. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management. Get the latest information in health and wellness when you tune into On the Radio with Dr. Ray. 